Hello and welcome to Watering Seeds, a podcast conversation that reviews and reapplies the preached word to our own minds and hearts and those of our listeners. Watering Seeds is a podcast ministry of Covenant Reformed Presbyterian Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Today we will be discussing our recent sermon on Ephesians 6 verses 10 to 13 entitled Spiritual Warfare. Uh, You can find that sermon on our church website, covenantreform.net. My name's Sean McCann. I'm here with my fellow pastor, Chris Brown. Welcome to Watering Seeds, Chris. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm doing well today. Okay, great. Well, our topic is one of spiritual warfare. Is that something you've put much thought or read much about? Oh, definitely. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, well, good. Um, Then then you'll have lots to say, maybe, about our passage. Uh, yeah, it was a, it's an interesting transition. I guess we just jump right in mm-hmm. from uh, where we've been the last three weeks, which is some pretty uh, practical, sort of worldly, in a good sense, relational counsel about different relationships. And then all of a sudden, Paul really switches gears, in a sense, to jump onto the spiritual plane and spiritual level uh, of spiritual warfare. Uh, and he and I used kind of the idea that he jolts us awake, that we maybe are asleep or unaware of the war that we are in, the battle that we're in. Looking at Ephesians as a whole, any thought on that transition from, you know, basic relationship, 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 to all of a sudden, it's not about the relationships, it's about this spiritual battle between spiritual forces. Any mm-hmm. thought on how Paul or why Paul goes that direction in the letter? Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, as he's he's concluding the letter and he's sort of hooking it back into how he introduced it, which was there's this, uh, there's a heavenly election at the beginning that, that he's t- praising God for this incredible thing that we can't see, but it's real. And he concludes it with, uh, there, there's another incredible invisible thing uh, but it's it's a battle that we're part of so I think he's just trying to tie it all together here uh, and that's what that's my take on it is and I think you mentioned um, that the way this battle is being fought is in the midst of all of these very tangible relationships so he's saying uh, all of this tangible stuff that he talks about in the middle of the the letter is it's all intimately related to the, the bigger doctrinal things that he said earlier. Yeah. So Yeah, I, I do think that's right. And I think uh, just in addition to that, I think I said this in the sermon, but the, the field on which we fight spiritual warfare are the regular relationships of our lives. And so they aren't two different things. And sometimes we can have maybe an unnecessary division of those things in our lives and not recognize that a difficult conversation with our spouse is happening both between us on one level, but also happening on the spiritual plane Mm -hmm. where Satan would want us to divide or to argue or to not give each other the benefit of the doubt and to not fulfill God's calling for us to love one another. So I think... That's part of it, yeah, that he, Paul, recognizes the different levels. Uh, but I did want to make the point in the sermon that you raised. He is tying in Christ's victory 
at the really at the end of chapter one with now our victory at the end of chapter six and the end of, end of the book itself. Uh, so let me start with this question before we get into the actual points. Um, do you think it's accurate to say that Christians are somewhat unaware that there's a spiritual war going on? Uh, maybe that's unique to specific times, places, denominations, expressions of Christianity. Um, if that is true, why might that be? Or maybe I'm misreading it. Maybe you've had an experience where people are accurately aware or overly aware of spiritual battles going yeah. on. Yeah, I think it's, it's just wherever we are, it's easy to misassess the nature of the spiritual battle. So I guess in America, a lot of it is just we're so materialistic in the wealth sense of things, but also the naturalistic sort of sense, like that's just sort of what people teach. That's sort of what we grow up in. Like there's some mechanistic explanation for this or that thing that we would rather have than maybe, uh, you know, spiritual temptation or something like that. Um, so I think in America, that's a big deal, but then I think people go overboard and they don't use a biblical assessment of the spiritual battle and they, they kind of come up with their own picture of spiritual realities. And that's like the new age, witchcraft, neo-paganism, which is on the rise. I saw something recently that said there are more witches in the U.S. than there are Presbyterians. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. Yeah, where in the world uh, that's... Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Anyway, um, and I think part of it is this, it's a lack of... Um, a lack of grounding in the scripture's depiction of spiritual warfare. Uh, and instead, it's people just kind of come up with their own th view of it. Um, and I guess for Christians, that's not so much the issue. But it's more of like we might be tempted or just kind of uh, adopt views that aren't biblical just because it's around us. We haven't thought through it. Mm -hmm. So Yeah. Um, there was a book I remember reading a long time ago. Is that we're on vacation. You know, when you're on vacation, sometimes you're staying at a place, a house or a hotel or B&B, &B, and they've got, like, books on the shelf. And I picked up, I mean, I was a teenager, and picked up the book. I think the author is Frank Peretti. Yeah, what yeah. are the names of those books? Oh, man, I don't remember the names, but I know okay. what you're talking okay, about. Okay, so there's, there's a storyline going on with, earthly characters mm -hmm. right but then you're there's also the angels around them and you see kind of the interaction of the two um i don't even think i was a christian at the time reading those and but they're sort of fast-paced and lots of adventure and kind of crazy wacky stuff Head going spinning. on do you think that uh genre has influenced christians view of spiritual warfare yeah i think that the movie the movie depictions of demonism and exorcism and the books oh, yeah, the exorcist. are related. Yeah, things like that and, mm -hmm. and uh, horror movies. They're, they're all kind of related. And it's those are usually made by people who I would consider fairly ignorant uh, about the reality that's, that's going on. Mm -hmm. uh, I do think it, it does have some influence just for your general Christian who yeah. hasn't really thought that much about it, I think. Yeah. I was looking at my bookshelf last week of kind of resources about spiritual warfare and realize I don't have that many books. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a book by John Bunyan called the Holy war, mm -hmm. which is a similar genre of his Pilgrim's progress. 
uh, and it has to do with a besieged city and spiritual battle. It's not nearly as good as Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, but then, you know, I realized the, the best book I have on my shelf is C.S. Lewis. Yeah. Screwtape Screw Letters. Letters yeah. Which is the fictional advice. Is it the devil writing it to mm. another demon or is it like a chief it's demon? His, it's is like uncle a, to his nephew. To a lower it's demon. Wormwood. But it's fascinating how it, it's insight into the spiritual battle we face in our hearts and souls as Christians from the perspective of the evil one. Now, it's not scripture, but it's so, as C.S. Lewis is, so insightful into human nature. Mm -hmm. And that book is, I think, the, one of the better resources on understanding, and we'll get to this in a little bit, I think the nature of spiritual warfare because it's so subtle and deceptive. And I tried to make the point that it doesn't come straight at you, waving the flag, you know, marching at you, saying, here comes the devil, you need to... Take your stand here and now, right? It's the subtle undercutting. Uh, it's the the death, seeds of doubt, right? It's the little annoyances mm. at your at your sibling, right? That, that ends up separating you more and more. Uh, so anyway, I would I would recommend I would highly recommend that book. Mm -hmm. I'm sure most of our listeners have read it. Uh, but Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis. All right, let's jump into the points. Uh, main idea is that we receive God's strength by putting on God's armor. To stand against God's enemies. Uh, the shortened version is that we're strengthened to stand. So God's strength was my first heading. And that is just the idea that uh, the uh, what I want to get across is the command is not, hey, you go be strong on your own. Go lift some weights. Go do some exercises so you can be spiritually strong. But it's a reliance upon God's strength. And it's the strength uh, that he gives. Uh, I think maybe a question is what? Why do we need to be strong? And I alluded to this in the sermon, but why does Paul even need to say this? You know, sometimes I ask this often in preaching. Why is this here? Hmm. Right? All the things Paul could say. Why does he need to tell us to be strong? Hmm. Um, well, you mentioned that the evil day yeah. is, is, is the reason, uh, part of the reason. The other reasons we're weak. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, so that, yeah, they, and we're going to talk about it more this Sunday. I'm going to kind of flesh out some of the specifics this Sunday. So I don't want to, I don't want to divulge too much, but, but yeah, I think the evil day, uh, and you mentioned that that's in one sense, that's the entire time period between Christ's ascension and his return, uh, because it's this time of testing, it's time of trial. Uh, but he, he probably uses it in a very specific way here as well. You said, um, to mean a day or a moment or a season of intense trouble. Uh, Satan's temptation, Satan's accusation, or else affliction. Um, and that's the evil day. And that because we're weak, we're humans that are frail, and because we're also sinners, uh, we need strength to be able to stand up and not fall. I mean, that's like all those different pictures of, uh, to him who is able to keep you from falling, uh, from stumbling. So the, the trouble is stumbling on the road of the Christian life or, or falling into Psalm 23, the valley of the shadow of death. You know, mm -hmm. How do I tread that mm -hmm. without stumbling and falling? Uh, I think that's the picture, mm -hmm. is on the road of salvation. How do we not fall away? Mm -hmm. uh, and it's we need to be strong. Yeah. Yeah, but, but as you say, it's someone else's strength. Yeah, it's someone else's strength, and I, I guess before we get to this, someone else's strength, 
I was wondering to myself, I mean, where, what are sources of strength that we're tempted to go to? Right? We're prone to go to. Uh, you know, I think in, in my own life, it's, it's probably, and I think, I mean, I've brought this out in the sermon, but it's some sort of sort of internal resources of strength. Like I am strong, I'm smart, I'm organized, I have a plan, I'm faithful, right? So it's all, so it's just, I need to be more of those things mm. to beat the challenge that's going to come in the evil day, mm. right? Mm. And that's, uh, so I, and I don't know if that's, if there's other ways we could look internally for our strength, or if there's other directions we're tempted to look for strength, but that's definitely the one that, that came to my mind about looking without as opposed to looking within, I don't know if anything else comes to mind for you. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of different things. Yeah. I did want to I did want to say, I mean, this next week this Sunday, we're going to talk about the details and the armor of God as um, like what it means to fasten on the belt of truth because there is an active role we have to play. I mean, he assumes we we actually have to put the armor on. So, um uh, it's like there's this intricate uh, balance between uh, our responsibility and where we're getting the strength. Like we are responsible to put the armor on, but the strength isn't from us, Mm -hmm. right? So like, I guess the issue you're pointing out with like your own faithfulness or your own, um, your own administrative (laughs) gifts or whatever, that would be like, relying upon it just I, i'm good at it i'm good at it so yeah i mean you gotta you I gotta do it or, to stay with your illustration just you, get through this just you gotta put something it. on so you're gonna yeah. put something on yeah, yeah. so you're talking about the active picking something up and putting something on so mm-hmm. my question is what is it you're putting on mm-hmm. what are we tempted to put on mm-hmm. that's not christ why are we, why do we need to be told to put on christ mm-hmm. and his you know his the armor he mm-hmm. provides mm-hmm. because we're putting on something else, or maybe we're just not putting on anything at all. Mm. Maybe it's just far from our mind. It's not even something we're considering. Um, and I, I do think it putting on God's strength requires us to be weak. And I think it, there's a the more it's a it's an attitude of dependence and reliance and drawing from the Lord mm. and not from our own, not from ourselves, not from others, um, but it's a kind of a conscience saying no to others in order that we may say yes Hmm. uh, in relying upon uh, God and His strength. Hmm. I think I want to spend the most amount of time here at the end is on the final point about the way that Satan attacks. Mm -hmm. So uh, the way in which what his schemes are. Um, The the first thing to be clear is that the wrestling against, uh, and I loved, I didn't know this beforehand, but reading this week that it, the word wrestle really means wrestle. Like it's the sweaty, close contact, can't get away from each other, grappling, hand-to-hand uh, way in which we are to engage the evil one, which I just think is pretty fascinating. Um, we don't wrestle flesh and blood. What does that mean? As, I mean? Is there an application from that? Is there a way that... do we? How do we go astray when we begin to think that we are wrestling flesh and blood? Oh, yeah. There are many applications. <laughs> uh, yes, many applications to that. That, I mean, Jesus says that 
the reason the world hates us is because it hated him first. And so that means, and that they really don't hate us per se. They hate our master and we are his servants. And that's why they hate us. It's because we identify with him. And I think that sort of spiritual mindset uh, changes the way we relate to people who we don't agree with, who are maybe our neighbors, friends or family, and they're rude or mean or unkind. And you're, you can go back behind their attitude and behind their actions towards you. And instead of saying, well, they're just despicable and I don't like them because they're mean to me. You can say, the reason they're mad is because they don't love God. There's a spiritual issue here. They're, 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 they're under the power of the prince of the air, the spirit who's now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we once all walked. So uh, that changes our attitude towards the lost, I think. That's a major application. Okay. I'm not wrestling against this person just on a... Yeah, they don't like me. I don't like them. Yeah. That's flesh and blood. There's a, a spiritual reality behind what they're doing. Yeah, and why. Anyway, that's one of my. So, so there's still an interaction with this person. Mm-hmm. Obviously, yeah. it doesn't deny that. Right. But we're recognizing the wrestling is not with mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. The wrestling is with the spiritual force that's using them and influencing, or deluding them, them or right. confusing them and. Yeah. You can be upset with them yeah. because they're doing something wrong. And you can be cautious if they're mean. But you can also pity them mm-hmm. and pray for them yeah. and long for their salvation. That's good. So. That's good. Um, yeah, I'm wondering, yeah, maybe we just leave it for people to think about other applications of this. Where are we wrongly wrestling against flesh and blood when we're really called to wrestle against the spiritual forces of evil I think there's some political implications, yeah, sure. but I'll leave it there. I'll just say that. Yeah, but just put it out there. Just as put a, it there as a as a reality check. Yeah. Um, okay, so the unseen reality are the spiritual forces of evil against whom we wrestle, and I tried to do some biblical theology work to look throughout other places of scripture to identify the schemes of the devil. Mm. And came up with four. There's more, of course. These don't summarize it all. But I came up with four schemes and tactics to be aware of. Because he calls us to be aware. Uh, And I named them as temptation, deception, accusation, and division. Um, How... I don't know. You want to pick any one of those to think on for a minute? Is there anyone that you, you kind of recognize as... More challenging to us as a particularly uh, dangerous scheme for you, for us. I don't know. Yeah. Or just throw a dart and pick yeah, one of them. We can jump are, in. <laughs> they're all great. Those are all. I'm thinking about what I'm going to be preaching on Sunday. The fiery darts. I'm going to mention that, and and it's like I could just pull out what you just said. Yeah, yeah. Those are the fiery darts. Like yeah. they're all. Do you think the fiery darts are? Best understood in the category of accusation? Or do you think it's pretty broad, broader than that? I think it's broad. But okay. I understand why people would say it's accusation. Yeah. Especially because it's a fiery, yeah. a fiery dart. But I think it's, I think it's broad because it, when you consider what faith is and you consider the picture of the shield, the big shield, you know, that 
the large shield that's supposed to block and, and a, a flaming arrow that somebody would shoot at a Roman soldier. It's, its goal is just to kill you mm-hmm. or injure you or take you out of the battle. And so that's anything. I mean, that's anything that Satan can throw at you, I think. So that's why I think it's broad. Yeah. Yeah. And I, there's the musician Shy Lin said he's Satan's got uh, he's got schemes for every season, kid. But this, there's there's always something else that he's trying. We think we've got it figured out. Like for a while, he tries to deceive you, and then you you you, you fight him off. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, I'm good. I'm good here now. And then he tries something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially if it's been successful on you in the past, he yeah. he tries it again. Yeah. Uh, so. But you can learn his schemes. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Yeah, I think that is huge. And just, I mean, sometimes even in our, we'll even say this sometimes with my wife and I in our marriage. Like, we'll say to each other, you're believing the lies of the evil one right now. Mm. And just naming that. Mm. Like, naming what what are you discouraged by? What are you angry by? You know, uh, and it's, it's the lie that we are tempted to believe. Yeah, I think for me, there was so many, this, I mean, it did hit me that these none of these come straight at you. And they are different levels and the, the schemes play off each other, right? And so you can just keep keep coming in different ways. And just the, the subtle nature of it. When you think of temptation, just take temptation on the front end. Like, uh, you know, you think, you think it's going to be this black and white thing where like you've, you're given the conscious choice whether to choose to sin in this moment, right? And you, you got a clear head, mm-hmm. right? You've got the wise counselors telling you what to do and you make a clear choice, but it's not like that, mm-hmm. right? It's, uh, you know, when we, usually when we choose to sin or often we think that's okay at the moment, mm-hmm. right? It's the, it's, it's the right thing to do. Or there's mm-hmm. a reason behind it. And uh, just the, it, he's, he's usually offering something that's not totally contradictory to God's word, right? but it's enough contradictory and he twists God's word enough to get us halfway there uh, that was it's just sobering to think mm. of how wily mm. our enemy is mm-hmm. yeah it's like you're you're driving past a house and you're like hang on a second i want that house and there's nothing that you could have prepped or planned to be like no i'm not going to be tempted to covet right now right right like you just drove past it and that's just one example and so yeah. resisting his schemes is that in that moment you you say no. <laughs> um, yeah. But that's just one because what the other ones were there's temptation, there's deception. Deception. Which I, which again is not a, usually not an outright lie. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at people in the church, they're not tempted to believe an outright lie. They're tempted to believe something that's just a few shades different mm-hmm. than the truth, or it's merged with some other form of belief. The church in America. That, yeah. That is, I mean, it's not just America, it's the whole world. The, the prosperity gospel, the new apostolic uh, prophetic thing that Bethel Church is doing, it, all of that stuff is its Satan garbed in an angel of light come to deceive people. Mm-hmm. And you take some basic things that are true about Jesus mm-hmm. and you wed it to uh, objectively falsehood. Mm-hmm. And people are like, oh, well, they must be good because they're talking about Jesus. Right. Well, the Gnostics were talking about yeah. Jesus, but they denied the truth. And um, anyway, that that's yeah. right. Deception. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The third one was accusation, mm. uh, which 
again, there's there's a twist. He convinces you to sin because it's not really a sin. It's not that bad. But then when you do it, he switches. Yeah. Now he's going to pile it on. Yeah. Uh, he, the accuser. The accuser. Yeah. He goes to the courtroom of heaven. And he says, "Hey, you got to punish him." Yeah. He's guilty. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, and we can be that that can kind of come upon us when we're not knowing it. I know some of the. You know, strongest, most faithful saints I know that still regularly battle the accusations of the evil one, which looks like them thinking they're unworthy, mm-hmm. them thinking their sins are too much, them thinking that God cannot continue to be patient with them because they're still struggling, uh, that they've believed the promises for so long, but maybe they'll be found to be faithless here in the end, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. Mm-hmm. What about division? That's a bit of a different tactic. Yeah. Yeah, he's not called the divider. I don't think in scripture. <laughs> um, I mean, the others he's called the the father of lies. He's called mm-hmm. the accuser. Uh, but division seems pretty key in my understanding of where we are in Ephesians, mm-hmm. because the whole part of chapter four is to maintain the unity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any thoughts on maybe the tack? So what tactics he would use to divide? Yeah, that is our particular issue right now. Yeah, I, I think um, given all of the circumstances. That is the the main thing he's he's doing right now. Um, I think with accusation, that is a crippling thing. It cripples someone's usefulness if they feel guilty all the time. Sometimes they need to feel guilty, but uh, sometimes they don't and they feel guilty. So that's crippling. But division is destructive to the watching world. It 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 makes the church look like. You know, Jesus says he wants us to be one so that the world will know who God is. Mm-hmm. So Satan's goal is to undermine that. And if he, can, if he can't keep you from being a Christian, he'll at least try to make you miserable mm-hmm. uh, as a Christian. So he wants you to feel guilty and he wants you to be divided from your brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, back in chapter 4, he says uh, that the way to maintain unity is to be gentle, humble, patient, loving, eager to maintain unity. So it has to be this underlying principle we want. We actually want to be united. Uh, that's, that's the first thing. Is we need to want it. Um, but we carry it out in love. So if he can keep us from loving each other, mm-hmm. if he can keep us from being patient with each other, then he can undermine unity. Yeah. So, yeah. So the implication so part of this is we're different. Mm. The, the gospel says that God brings us together and unites us mm. in our diversity because we are, our number one identity is now in Christ. Mm. So Satan would want to take advantage of the fact that we are different. If we were all the same, it'd be a lot easier to divide us, I would imagine. Although, who knows? Mm. So we're different, right? We uh, and where the differences comes in and how to divide us, mm. on one level, it's that like we have different views of things, mm. right? We have different opinions on the politics. We have different opinions on the virus. We have different opinions on, uh, you know, the, the government handling of the virus. We have different opinions on all these things. That's one level, right? Just a difference of opinion. Can we live with people? Can we love people who are different than us? Another level beyond that is, are our interactions within our differences offending one another? Are they hurting one another? Mm-hmm. Um, so Satan would love for us to be easily offended by one another. He'd love for us to be impatient. Mm-hmm. He'd love for us to be 
unconcerned about the effects that our words have on our loved ones. I think he would be, I think he would love for us not to say we're sorry to each other, mm-hmm. right? And to not forgive. Not to forgive each other, not to repent and be restored uh, to one another. So that's too many times you've hurt me. That's the end. Yeah. You know, not 70 times 7, but you know, this was too many. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What were those ladies' names in Philippians? What are their <laughs> turges them? To... What are their names? Do you remember that? Syntyche and Euodia, I think, or something like something that. Something like that. Yeah, they go down in uh, sacred writ I for all time as being the two women along. that can't get along. You got to get along here. <laughs> and then the Bible, those those poor ladies, we don't know what it was over. Chapter uh, four, verse two. I entreat yeah. Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. To agree in the Lord. So disagreeing. Mm-hmm. is not in the Lord, of course. doesn't mean we have to all be formulated that we have the exact same views on every topic, uh, but there is a higher priority than our view or our opinion on something. Um, and man, Satan would love to sow those, or does love uh, to sow those seeds of division. And one thing to be clear, I think, is that he, you quoted this earlier, his ultimate name is Christ. And so he does want to affect us as individuals because that does bring dishonor to the name of Christ. But the church is the body of Christ. And so if he can affect the church, the, the corporate sense, then there's another way in which he is dishonoring his enemy hmm. in Christ. Hmm. Oh, yeah. I was going to um, add a note of encouragement or hope that these people who couldn't get along and he urges them to get along in the Lord, he goes on and he says that they had labored with him in the gospel and that their names are in the book of life. So he doesn't say, well, because you're not getting along, you're not a Christian. But he says, you are a Christian, and you need to get, you need to get along. Okay. What's amazing is that we, when we disagree and argue with other Christians, we can get to the point where we don't believe they're a Christian. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's, that's a dark place to be in, yeah. where you begin to question other people's salvation. I know we've all been there, uh, where you're so angry with someone... Now, there's a place for that done well and done rightly. Following the proper steps. Yeah, following. Exactly. But that's, a, that's, that's never a decision for an individual to make. And even a church body enters that very, very lightly. Very, not lightly, the other way around. Yeah. Cautiously. What's the word I'm looking for? Cautiously. Carefully. Carefully. Yeah, yeah not lightly. Uh, yeah. Um, so, but anyway, that just the, the temptation of our own heart. Hmm. So, okay, uh, those are the schemes of the devil, and we are well-equipped if we can recognize them, if we can name them, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if we can name them to one another, if we can speak kind of truth to the lies, if we can bring it to light. What we do against those schemes is we stand against them. Uh, three times we're told to stand, six times is the word against used. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I use this phrase, we want to be, as a church, we want to be more about what we're for than what we're against. Right? We want to define ourselves by not being like these other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a very real sense that the Christian life is lived in resistance against a spiritual force mm-hmm. of evil. Uh, and that idea of resistance, I wanted to pull out that we are resisting uh, the evil one. And you're going to get into this this Sunday, but how the armor of God is uniquely fitted for the schemes of the evil one. And I alluded, you know, I, I made some reference to that mm-hmm. at, at the very end of the sermon. 
Uh, do, you, do you have that listed? Do I do. Want, yeah. Do you want to read it? Yeah, I can. I can review very it. Very good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I um, yeah. I mean, I, I I didn't plan it this way. Honestly, it just kind of happened as I was studying and working towards the conclusion of my sermon, and that was you know named these four schemes, right? The first scheme of temptation, uh, and we stand against that uh, with the verse fourteen, the breastplate of righteousness, right? So righteousness, holiness, mm-hmm. over and against. Temptation, sin, giving into giving into sin. The second one is lies, right? Deceiving us, lying us, lying to us. We stand against that by fasting on the belt of truth. So obviously, truth standing against lies. Uh, the uh, the the fourth one in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. I tied that to accusations, but of which course, yeah, but it includes accusation, yeah, yeah. right? And I I think it's a in my mind, it's an especially helpful image. You know, sometimes the soldiers would dip their shields in water in order to extinguish mm-hmm. the flaming darts. And so just that idea of the, the flame of an accusation being extinguished, mm-hmm. silenced mm-hmm. Uh, by, uh, by our faith in Christ and the gospel. And then the last one was the, the shoes having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Peace is fit to... Uh, to battle against the weapon of division Hmm. and that you know satan's not going to throw something at you that god is caught unaware by right he's not going to run some trick play and your free safety is in the wrong place on the field right like god's given you everything you need we take it up right and we use it uh, in our battle against these schemes so i think uh I think my last question was a question of application from the sermon is how, and we kind of already hit on this, but any kind of closing thoughts? Are there ways in which we underestimate our enemy or are there ways in which we misidentify our enemy? Uh, and the challenge I gave to folks was, you know, in our politically charged environment right now, I think the first level in which we see all these things is politics, mm-hmm. right? What side is winning? Uh, and so we sort of tune into the news to tune into the spiritual battle going on in our nation. Mm. And my challenge to the folks would be, you know, the, the real spiritual battle in your life is happening in your marriage, with your kids, at work, with the body of Christ, mm. here at the church. Not that there's not spiritual forces of evil in the political, institutional mm. levels, mm. but the most important one in your life in which you are called to stand against mm-hmm. is personal and communal with the body of Christ. I think there was a question yeah. in there. Yeah, there was. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, I think it's worth pointing out that uh, the previous stuff that you've gone through in chapters 5 and 6, he doesn't talk about the national, your national or civic involvement. And he, he doesn't mention it. He mentions it in other letters hmm. where he tells us we should submit to the governing authorities, the implications of that, you know. Um, but here he focuses on the family relation, relational family unit, household. The, the Roman household, and he so that's all the different relationships, and and that's worth noting as he he moves from that to spiritual warfare, that the family is the basic unit of society, and so even in a national sense, you'd say well, if you can undermine the family, you can undermine the nation, spiritually speaking, so. Um, we're called to focus on this first, mm-hmm. uh, not to the exclusion of yeah. other things, yeah. but yeah, uh, you know, 
you know, but, we, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. I was, also gonna, I was also going to add, I think we're also tempted to think that the spiritual warfare is the, the stuff going on in third world countries, hmm. uh, which is, I mean, it's real. I mean, I, I believe, uh, I believe demon possession still occurs. I believe there's still demonic forces that, um, battle in that way, uh, which is much less subtle, uh, than it is here. Uh, but, uh, I think we're tempted to think that's the stuff over there. Whereas you've pointed out, we, we said at the beginning that it's the temptation and the deception and the accusation that's going on in your daily life. That that's a real spiritual battle. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that we could go down that road, but the idea that sort of in the first world civilized society, we don't have this anymore, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I think it's sort of my part of my understanding of it is that often in frontier places where the gospel's first going forth, there is this upfront, mm-hmm. very, uh, as you say, I don't know, demonic, it's clear cut, clear cut yeah. enemy, mm-hmm. right? But then maybe in a Christian or post Christian nation, there's different forms of deception mm-hmm. wearing a suit and coming in the form of an institution, yeah, right? Um, yeah, the idea of, of where the spiritual battles are being fought, you know, we. We had a pretty rabid Senate battle in North Carolina between Tom Tillis and Cal Cunningham. And it sadly came out about a month ago that one of them had was guilty of marital infidelity, which is tragic no matter your views of politics. Mm-hmm. And yet he stayed in the race. And I remember reading that and really removing politics from the picture, just being so sad mm-hmm. that he viewed in that moment what was more important in his life was a political battle. Hmm. And his wife and two young children who are reading the news about their dad's infidelity. Hmm. And like, which one of those two things is more important in Hmm. his life? Hmm. And for whatever reason, he was convinced it was to continue to run for the Senate. And that was, I I don't think that's because he was one political party or the other. Hmm. I think that we're all susceptible to that. And I think you see men in ministry thinking their ministry is more important and uh, you know don't don't bring up my faults don't can't you see what good work I'm doing for the gospel or mm. for the church mm. and, uh, yeah the real focus here is those relationships you are closest with and you have greatest influence over mm. right is your household relationships where that battles being waged I was gonna recap one thing you said with the frontier places oh yeah um, it does make sense that Satan's deception in a place that's mostly materialistic would be to maintain the illusion of materialism, right? Like, uh, we don't, he wouldn't want to do all sorts of crazy supernaturalistic type events, uh, in front of someone who is an atheist, uh, because, well, that might kind of shake them out of their atheism, right? <laughs> yeah, true. Or their naturalism. Uh, so that does, that's not surprising. Uh, to me, uh, that this is the road he's mm. chosen to go down for now in our country. But I do think things are changing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I do too. I do think there's a, if you look at Europe in a post-Christian type context, there's, again, a different attack mm-hmm. than maybe there is in a Christian, I'm using air quotes, yeah. Yeah. Uh, however you want to interpret that. All right, let me close. I, mm. I remember hearing once, you know, one of your, I think, former pastors, Derek Thomas. Yeah. Were you ever under him? Mm-hmm. Okay. Remember him preaching on the temptation of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. And he has this memorable Welsh accent, which I'm not even going to try to quote or imitate. But he said 
something to the effect of Satan sends his interns to tempt you. (laughs) He went himself to tempt Jesus. Mm. And uh, not to say that our temptations aren't struggles, but to look at Christ, that Christ overcame everything Mm. the evil one could throw at him. Mm. And clothed in this armor, he overcame and was victorious. And that should give us confidence to take it up and put it on because it's secure, it's sufficient for us. All right. Well, with that, uh, let's close. We'll look forward to hearing more about the individual pieces uh, of armor uh, this Sunday. So that's it for today. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Watering Watering Seeds. Uh, We will record another episode, Lord willing, next week to discuss the sermon. What's your text, Chris? It's, uh, let me just close my Bible. Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verses uh, 14 through 17. 14 to 17. Okay. I think the title of that sermon is Spiritual Armor, or the Armor of God. Or the Armor of God. The Armor of God. Something with the word armor in it. So I hope you can listen to it before we record next week. And uh, we'll look forward to chatting about it. So thanks for joining us. Uh, until next week, grace be with you all. <laughs>